Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, hello. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Time to rise and shine if you're not up already. Um, Yeah, probably time to be thinking about that. As your feet hit the floor, I want you to consider taking back every square inch today. Like, right? Square inch by square inch. Let's be people who are advancing the gospel always and always. Let's physically and, and... intentionally walk our faith out into the world that God so loves. Let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. So let me ask you, what effect did the arrival of human beings have on creation, on the earth? Like, what difference does it make that there are people in the world? What what difference does it make? Like, literal difference. I mean, obviously, we live we leave footprints, but those are then quickly washed away. Um, we can think about the generations of human beings who have lived and died and are buried and gone, um, what difference does it make? And so you can answer that question on lots of different levels. Like what, what difference does it make that I'm, that I'm alive? What difference does it make? Like that, that is a purpose conversation, but I want to talk for a moment about uh, the difference that the arrival of humanity makes like literally upon the earth, the creatures of the earth, the soil, um, the trees, the water, all of it. And I'm coming to this conversation this morning because of the advocacy of a group of scientists to uh, to rename the era in which we live. Not the epoch, but the time period, a geological time period known, let's see, the Mianarist in a whole new era, working group is proposing humans. Are a new epic. Yeah, I have to remember that sometimes it's an epic and sometimes it's an era. And so this is a conversation about time periods. And uh, the anthropomorphic, yeah, that's not what they're going to call it. Uh, somebody help me out here. The Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is what they want to call this time in which we live, this time that has been influenced by human beings. Now, before we get all worked up, before we get all worked up about this, um, particularly because you're going to hear things like 66 million years ago, you're going to you're going to hear like big numbers in terms of time. Before you get all worked up about that, let me just encourage you to consider this. Uh, It matters that we're here and we and our being here makes a difference. There literally wouldn't be death or decay if it were not for human beings, like because there wouldn't be sin. And so from the perspective of the creation narrative, which you can remind yourself of by rereading the beginning of the book of Genesis, were it not for human beings, like the rest of creation would still be living in an idyllic state. 
all creation fell subject to the consequences of sin at the fall of humankind. And so, yes, humanity makes a difference. We actually make a big difference. So I encourage you to keep that in mind when you're going to hear news today about the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is, I think, going to be basically the word of the day. It is this new, new geologic epic, the new age of the Earth. Um, Scientists are arguing it began in like the 1950s, and they want it formally recognized as the human age. They want this to be recognized as the human age. Now, I would argue we've been living in the human age since the advent of humans. But I, I get the conversation here. And so before you scoff, I'm going to ask you to consider if it is true that um, since the moment we imagined that we were in control, since the moment that we as human beings imagined that we were in control and that it was all about us and that the world revolved around us and not around God, that all creation has been groaning for our redemption. Do you believe that? I do. That is actually what the Bible says. So before we scoff uh, that there are, you know, that there's evidence in the layers of, uh, of a pond in Canada, that's actually what this is all going to come down to. Crawford Lake outside of Toronto, where they have this material signature of the shift from the Holocene epic, which started, they would argue, 11,000 years ago, to the Anthropocene Anthropocene epic in the mid-20th century. They're arguing that you can find evidence in this lake in Canada, these ge- geochemical markers, layer after layer after layer, that prove we are now living in a distinct geological epic that began in 1950. So before you scoff at that, um, I just want you to consider that the behavior of human beings has had a negative impact on the soil and the air and the water and the plant life and the animal life of creation since the fall of man. Like, that's literally why we don't live in the garden anymore. So, uh, yeah, I bring all of that up because I think Anthropocene is going to be not only the word of the day, but a good conversation for us as Christians. And Heather Zeiger, our science uh, expert Uh, All Things Weird Science is coming up next. And so I thought, hmm, good day to try out a new word, Anthropocene. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is here. She's a freelance writer out of Dallas. She's a research analyst with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. You can check out what they're working on at cbhd.org. Heather, welcome back. Hi, Carmen. Good to be back. Okay, so you could probably take a piece of my hair and slice it up into little pieces and see whether or not there was nasty stuff in the water I was drinking. So it doesn't surprise me that we could look at the layers in a pond and uh, and see what we've been doing over time. Let's talk about our water and let's talk about the stuff that is in our water and why it matters. Yeah, so one of the big news topics lately is these uh, this idea of forever chemicals in our tap water. So, and uh, I'll I'll explain why they're called forever chemicals. 
but there was this large study done by the U.S. Geological Society, and they looked at, I think, over 700 locations throughout the United States between 2016 and 2021, and they found that nearly half of U.S. tap water contains forever chemicals. Now, these chemicals, um, the abbreviation is PFAS. So I'll say, the, I'll say it once. It's pair and polyfluoroalkyl substances, so PFAS. You don't have to remember that. There's no quiz. Um, there's actually, this is a class of chemicals. There's actually 12,000 different types. They're the type of chemicals that are often used in like nonstick cooking products, shampoos, fire retardant clothing, so many industrial products. And the CDC has said that nearly everyone has some level of PFASs in their blood. Now, here's the deal. There has been some studies that have shown either a correlation or a connection between certain types of PFAS uh, uh, chemicals and a connection to some health issues like high blood pressure, uh, decreased immune system, decreased vaccine response, high cholesterol levels, and certain cancers. So, but the CDC actually has a good caveat on their website. So I will, I will tell you their caveat is not all of these studies looked at the same group of people who had the same exposure or the same PFASs. So, so there's a couple of things here. Like one of those is it's really hard to establish causation. Yeah, but on the other hand, of course, we really care about clean drinking water. That's an important thing for public health. So yes, great that they did these studies. Great that we're seeing that they are calling out, hey, we need to do something about these chemicals. I don't know that you need to get so afraid that you can't drink your drinking water. Mm -hmm. um, we want to be careful about drawing a cause and effect to some of these health issues. It's actually really hard to establish because there's just so many other factors going into that. Um, also keep in mind that this was specific to certain locations in the United States. It is not necessarily the entire United States. Yeah. And you can't necessarily drink, let's say, bottled water. Um, I mean, you know, because you might be uh, uh, concerned that um, your water was leaching things from the bottle. Like there's all, I mean, this goes mm -hmm. on and on and on and on. So we may end up doing what they did in biblical days and just all drinking wine. I mean, that that is one option. <laughs> just saying like, right, this is actually why people over the course of human history have drunk uh, liquid that has been, uh, you know, that's that's got alcohol in it because it was designed to kill bacteria. Like it's it's an interesting, mm -hmm. it's an interesting conversation about uh, about time and and what we put in our bodies and what we're putting into uh, the water system and on and on and on and on. Okay, uh, mm -hmm. I want to have a conversation with you about the ethics of using drugs to change hearts and minds. Uh, this is about MDMA. Um, we're going to pause just a moment. When we come back, Heather Zeiger is going to tell us what is MDMA um, and what is some research saying that it can be used to change Hearts and Minds? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Continuing our conversation with Heather Zeiger. Um, Heather, uh, talk with us about this drug 
um, and talk with us about the effects of this drug, MDMA. Yeah, Carmen. So this is actually a really big topic right now about using psychedelics uh, uh, for therapeutic purposes because they've been shown, certain psychedelics have been shown to help people with PTSD. So MDMA, that's a big, long chemical name. So we're doing some chemistry today. It's an amphetamine-based drug that is both a stimulant and a hallucinogen. It's um, the, it, it's kind of, it's an illegal drug and a party drug the common name is ecstasy and molly okay so those are mm. maybe what you've heard so here's the thing about this drug um there has been some anecdotal evidence of people who have participated in clinical trials that they took the MD mdma and this was under a clinical trial so they were guided and it was under observation and everything and basically they developed compassion and empathy so and one uh one very interesting story was of this guy who was a uh, leader of a white supremacist group in Europe, and he had ended up losing his job when he was outed as this leader. And so he went did this clinical trial for extra money for something to do. And he said that taking MDMA actually did something to him. It changed him. And he ended up having compassion on these people that he hated. And he was like, why did I ruin my relationships? Now, here's the thing, Carmen. If you read his interview, the first step in this guy's kind of journey was not that he suddenly loved everyone or that his racist thoughts went away. His first step was asking himself, why am I having these thoughts? Which, of course, I think is a good question any of us can ask. And we can ask ourselves that without having to go on this chemically induced trip. Okay. So I think the question for us as ethicists is whether MDMA should be used to chemically engineer people to have more compassion and empathy, because the idea is that, well, this does make people have more empathy for their fellow human beings. And as Christians, in one sense, yeah, we would agree that it's good to love people because they are made in the image of God. I think the problem here and in a lot of these psychedelic studies is that scientists are being really chemically reductive. They're being reductionistic just because a drug can recruit one's dopamine and serotonin receptors so the body releases um, yeah, oxytocin, this love chemical, that doesn't mean a person's heart has changed. And in fact, there's evidence that someone who is not open-minded or open to change could become even more hostile towards people that they see as a threat. So let's remember that oxytocin, that's the same chemical that leads mama bears to both nurture their young and rage against a, a threat. So you could really have something that backfires here. There was a stat news article recently that said doctors and scientists still don't know how psychedelics work, which means it's really hard to know the long-term effects Certainly, because it has been an illegal drug for so long, um, they know that long term, some long term effects for, or I'm sorry, effects with long term use, I should say, uh, are problems with your memory and problems with learning. Um, since we're talking about ac uh, anecdotal stories, I knew a guy in high school uh, who he had done LSD during some low point in life and he later regretted it. And two years after he had done, this um this drug he still would occasionally have hallucinations where i think he said that like the, he thought the carpet was attacking him or something mm. so obviously this is not the brain changes people are looking for this isn't therapeutic this is actually opposite so i i am really I, this is a big question i really think you, you need to understand what's going on in the brain before you start using this as therapy 
Yeah, I think that one of the questions that's going to quickly emerge, and I think we as Christians have to get in front of it, is, um, you know, hey, we've got all of these neurodiverse kids, and these neurodiverse now young adults. Maybe this is a way of, um, you know, of treating, curing, uh, dealing with people who are whose brains work differently than other people's brains. And I, I think that's my one of my concerns. I mean, obviously, I have a concern for people using any sort of chemical to change the way they not only feel, but then think and respond to reality, um, especially when, as you point out, we don't know the long-term effects of, um, of, of doing such things. You know, why not try talk therapy? Why not try meditation? Why not try prayer? Why not, um, you know, invite God by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring some, some restoration and healing? This, this conversation about empathy is a particularly interesting one because— um, I think we do imagine it's really hard to teach. Yeah. You know, Carmen, there's been studies, though, that have shown that one of the best ways to teach empathy, so you can get to know someone in the other group, but another good way mm. to learn empathy is learn is reading fiction, actually, mm. reading, reading good books, reading fiction books. For, for some reason, and I'm talking the classics and stuff, for some reason, yeah. reading fiction helps you be in the place of the main character or helps you see something from another person's point of view without having to go on this trip, without neurochemically changing you, but is actually enriching. So that's something to think about. That is, um, that is awesome. That is awesome. That's, such, that's so helpful. Um, all right. There's a ton of other stuff we could talk about today, but I would like to just briefly hit on um, the emergence of a land crawling fish known as the snakehead fish that has arrived in the southeastern United States. Um, and I would like to get your take on this because you're my closest thing to <clears throat> to a person who might know how to help me understand how there's a fish that breathes on the land and can survive out, out of water. What What is going on? Yeah, so this is a weird fish, okay? The, it's a northern snakehead fish. Sometimes they call it the frankenfish. It can live for up to three days on land. It can it can breathe air for three days. It can kind of slither on land like a snake. It can catch it's frogs. Disgusting. Kind of, it's so disgusting. If you disgusting. look at a picture, it's oh. ugly. Having said that, Carmen, it apparently is very tasty oh, and really? is a delicacy in some in some countries. So really? this is actually, yes, yes. So this is actually a case of a, an invasive species. So it's illegal to trade or to bring in um, snakehead fish. So, and that was made illegal in 2002. Um, and it is an invasive species because it eats other fish and it'll, it'll disrupt the ecosystem. So if you ever catch one and you, you verify it's not a bowfin, which is native here. So bowfins kind of look like that, like, like a snakehead. They can breathe there for a short time. Not a bowfin, it's a snakehead. You're supposed to kill it immediately. Whether you want to follow a recipe online and eat it, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. They're such ugly fish. I don't know if I could do that, but there you go. Uh, this on an upcoming episode of Tasty Tuesday Cooking with Carmen. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, if you're listening right now and you could be my source <clears throat> for already processed snakehead fish meat, I might try to come up with a with a tasty recipe. That that sounds like a good um fish stew opportunity. 
Uh, Heather, as always, what a delight to talk with you. I'm wondering if the next time that we talk, we could we could maybe dip more than a toe into like as Christians, how do we have faithful conversations about the reality of a changing climate without having to agree with everything, quote, climate scientists assert? Could we could we plan a conversation related to that? Because that's of interest to a lot of listeners. Yeah, I think we should. That I know a lot of people are interested in that. Yeah. All right. I'm putting that on our agenda for the next time we talk. So that means Heather will be back. Yay! Um, it won't be Science Friday, but it will be uh, Science Wednesday the next time uh, Heather joins us in a couple of weeks. So that's Heather Zeiger. You can find her at the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, cbhd.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. Do you know about the space-time continuum? Do you know anything about space-time? Do you know anything about radio waves? Do you know anything about the way that you're actually hearing me right now? Like, I, I, it's, over, it's happening over a wave. Okay, so some of you are listening digitally, in which case it's happening over something completely invisible. And, I mean, like a wave, but apparently digital stuff is on little packets of light, I don't know. I don't know how any of it works. You know, any of it works. No, we don't necessarily. I mean, I don't. But smarty pants people, this is a lot of science today. But that's because there's a lot of really weird science happening out there right now, like weird in terms of like cool. So there's a space time warping effect of gravitational waves and they're passing through the galaxy. And apparently they're always passing through the galaxy and it's always happening. So I want to ask right now, can you feel the gravitational waves? Of course not. I mean, you can't feel a gravitational wave. That's kind of the whole point. But they're pulsing all the time. And um, am I supposed to be taking a break, Ryan? Because I was just going to launch in to a conversation about gravitational waves, but I think I'm supposed to take a break. That was an excellent tease, though. So now people will just have to (laughs) wait and see what else you have to share. Okay. I have some things to say about feeling the gravitational waves of the day, especially the ones you cannot see. All right. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay. Gravitational waves. Can you feel them? Can you feel the gravitational waves of the day? So again, I, I'm, I'm going to talk on more than one level here. And so my jumping off point is that researchers have, over, over the course of 15 years, been gathering this information about what's happening on the frontiers of the universe. And they've been, like, I don't know, measuring the, the tick, the little tick, 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 tick. I don't know. I don't know if it's that fast. That's created by now dead stars, and apparently they can line up all this ticking, and it creates a a, a clock of some sort. And then they measure the waves that are created by this ticking clock. And so there's these gravitational waves. And here's 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 one reflection on it by a person who obviously has thought more about this than I have. So Katie Mack is the Hawking. That'd be Stephen Hawking chair in cosmology and science communication 
at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. She's the author of The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. And she recently wrote this in an op-ed in the Washington Post. So again, not a believer in in the things of the Bible. She's not a believer in terms of the faith. But listen to what she believes and listen to what she's thinking about. She said, eight years ago, when I learned that gravitational waves had been detected, I felt seasick. But the past month's report of evidence that the cosmos is churning with low-frequency gravitational waves sent me reeling. As a physicist, I'm used to knowing that an invisible world of particles and waves moves through the universe. I've made peace with being constantly skewered by uh, neutrinos. I can't even read all these words, and cosmic rays. I blithely submit to x-rays at the dentist and to radio waves everywhere, which means that right now she's like within the sound of my voice and she doesn't necessarily know it. So I have the power. Okay, so, but a gravitational wave, that's a distortion of space-time itself, she says, a stretching and squeezing of the fabric of reality, a wave of deformation tearing through the cosmos, warping everything in its path. The monstrous denizens of the intergalactic deep reveal themselves not through the light they emit, but by how they stir the space-time we share. When a gravitational wave moves through you, you are, for a moment, a different shape. Okay, if that doesn't sound like God hovering over the chaos before creation and then shining light out of darkness, if that doesn't sound like the movement of the Holy Spirit, if that doesn't sound like the way by the power of the Spirit God is bringing believers into conformity by one degree of another uh, into the image of Christ. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't think you could find better evidence in the secular world of a person testifying to the movement of the Spirit. Consider that the Holy Spirit of the living God is operating right now as an invisible force across the entire cosmos right down to the nano level of who you are. The Holy Spirit's moving, working, the Bible says, to bring the believer into greater conformity with Christ by one degree of glory to another, like at the nano level, altering us in ways that are utterly unseen, but that one day over time will become evident to all. That is amazing. That's grace. God is on the move and God is moving. If you want a biblical testimony related to this, I, I can think of none, but well, I can think of several. Acts chapter 2 and the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is certainly one of these gravitational waves. Um, the, the testimony of, of the opening chapters of Genesis, definitely a gravitational wave. The closing chapters of Revelation, definitely evidence of a gravitational wave. Um, but Ezekiel 37 is an interesting look at what happens when a fresh wind of God's spirit blows across that which is otherwise dead and lost? Um, Jesus talks about the invisible reality. We, we know of the invisible realm. I mean, in much the same way that this scientist says, like, I, I'm used to knowing that an invisible world moves through the universe. She thinks it's an invisible world of particles and waves. I know it's an invisible, uh, it's the invisible movement of the Holy Spirit of the living God. 
Jesus said of the Spirit, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You feel the gravitational pull of it. You don't see where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. But it's there. So if you're born of the Spirit, you know the power of light and darkness. You know the power of peace in the midst of chaos. You know the confidence of standing secure in the face of a whelming flood. You know the unassailable joy, even in the midst of the darkest of valleys. Like, you know the gravitational waves that change not only you, but the very world around you. The gospel has this invisible power, and it's moving continually through all creation in every moment, in every direction, advancing God's kingdom purposes Yes, on earth as in heaven. The world might be able to measure it from time to time, from galaxies far, far away. You and I can measure it in real time, in real life, in real conversations, in real transformation. So science continues, and scientists continue to be amazed that they discover this evidence that there's something working at a deeper level. Uh, I mean, there's, there's light shining in darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. There, there's something happening even in places that they think are nothing but dark matter and black holes. And you and I say, yeah, we know his name. The truth of the matter is that God is on the move. Across the furthest reaches of the heavenly realms and right down to the cellular level of your body and the unseen places of your mind. You can walk in that confidence today and you can engage in the conversations of the day and not be off put or intimidated by the fact that scientists like Katie Mack talk in terms of billions of years and billions of light years. You know what? Let's just talk in terms of forever and ever. Amen? Forever and ever. Before there was an ever, there was God. Before anything that exists existed, there was God. It all came from him. It's all returning to him. And if you're spiritually sensitive, you can feel the gravitational wave right now of the movement of the Spirit of the living God, not only across the cosmos, but inside you. I want to talk here for just a moment, or in just a moment, about truth. What is the truth? Who is the truth? What do we do with the truth? How do we discern the truth? What's the truth of the times in which we live? The FBI director is on the hot seat today, being questioned by a committee of Congress. And he's going to commit to tell the truth. But there will be those who wonder, is he telling the whole truth? And is he telling nothing but the truth? How will his testimony be measured by people whose minds are already made up about what the truth is in this particular matter? We're not going to focus so much on that particular conversation happening in that particular room today, but on the larger conversation about truth 
and the suppression of truth in the culture today. We, we know the one who is the way and the truth and the life. His name is Jesus, and we want to walk in his ways. We want to be people of truth. But how do we live as people of truth in the midst of a culture that is actively seeking to suppress the truth in so many ways? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, what is the truth or who is the truth? How do we discern the truth? How do we walk in the truth? How do we function as people of truth in the midst of a culture where the truth is often actively suppressed. So we talk about truth suppression or the suppression of the truth. Um, Romans chapter one should come to mind. Um, That is where God addresses in his word this issue of the suppression of the truth. So beginning at verse 18 in Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul writes, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteous suppression of the truth. Okay, so are you suppressing the truth? Do you know someone who is suppressing the truth? And if you say to yourself, oh, I don't like, I don't, I don't like verses of the Bible that are about the wrath of God. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about what God is doing in relationship to um, people who are not responding to him. Well, I mean, this is reality. And this is what the Word of God says. So Paul goes on to say, what can be known about God is plain. It's plain. God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So men are without excuse. So Paul is saying, look, you you can look around. You can look at those northern lights. You can look at that... uh, cooing baby. You can look at the very cells of skin on your own arm. You can, look at, you, can, you can look at those prints in your own hand. You can watch uh, a bud emerge from the ground. Like You can watch a sunset. You, you are without excuse. God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, they can be clearly perceived by what God has made. That's general revelation. That's what that is about. God has revealed himself generally in creation. And this passage of scripture goes on to say, but although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. They didn't give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking, which means they literally couldn't think straight anymore. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. Okay, so you can think about that as actual, 
like creation worship, like the worship of things. You could also view it as personal idolatry, making an idol of the self, of the self, worshiping the image bearer of God instead of God himself. So becoming um, totally centered on the self. The Anthropocene, as we uh, led off the beginning of the conversation. So Paul goes on again. This is Romans chapter one. Therefore, God gave them up. He gave them up to the lusts of their own hearts. He gave them up to impurity. He gave them up to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So when we talk about the suppression of the truth, when we talk about the active suppression of the truth, we're, we're, we're talking about people who have access to the word of God, access to the gospel, access to the truth, and yet they deny it. They, they actively suppress it. And what happens as you actively suppress the truth is what Paul describes here as what God gave them up. He says it over and over and over again. God gave them up. God gave them up. In verse 26, he goes on to say, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations with men for relations with other women. Contrary to the natural order, and their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men and women committing shameless acts and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And again, we don't, we don't, like, we don't like reading these passages of Scripture because in, in the context of the times in which we live, these don't sound gracious. These don't. You know, people don't want a God who makes determinations like this, but this is the God who is. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were then filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceitfulness, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's a long list. And then there's this verse. Because it's not just about those who suppress the truth by embracing life and lifestyle that is so clearly contrary to God's um, gift of life and ordering of it. Verse 32 lays the burden upon a wider group who approve of those practices. So verse 32 of Romans chapter 1, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. So this is the wages of sin is death, and everyone stands condemned under, under that particular um, uh, standard. They do, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And so that's that concentric circle of um, allies. If you have allied yourself with sin, if you have allied yourself with what you know to be contrary to the will of God revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, 
and you say to yourself, wow, okay, so Romans 1 and the act of suppression of the truth is not just about those around me who are living in ways that I know are dishonoring to God's created order and to God's uh, created and revealed will in terms of human relationships. What Paul says here is that the act of suppression of the truth extends to those who support or advocate or ally themselves with those who are engaged in such practices. That's a wide circle in the culture today. And I want you to keep those things in mind as you read headlines today on both sides or all sides of conversations related to life, conversations happening in, in Ohio, um, where there is a proposed amendment to the Ohio State Constitution to suppress parental rights related to abortion and trans treatment for children. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, late last night after a marathon one-day special legislative session, um, Iowa, uh, the, the Congress in Iowa passed a bill to ban most abortions after six weeks. So where we have active suppression of the truth on one hand, we do have those who are seeking to advocate for truth on the other. These are challenging days in which we live. These are challenging days in which we live. And we want to be people who are sober and truthful and shining like bright stars. Oh, even northern lights. Maybe you could go be shiny today and go be a northern light. Even if you don't live in one of the places where the aurora borealis is going to be visible, you and I could be northern lights today wherever we are, shining brightly in the culture where God has placed us at this day and time. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, uh, those of you looking for the scripture reference to go be shiny, uh, Philippians chapter 2, I'd commend verses 14 to 29, but I'm just going to read here um, briefly from verses 14 to 16. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you might become blameless and pure, like that the world around you might actually respond. Um, This is a little bit like uh, it, it says in the Gospel of Matthew, to let your light so shine before others that they would see not you, um, but through your good works, see the God whom you are glorifying with your life. So, Paul, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, yes, in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, but in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. So, northern lights... Southern lights, eastern lights, western lights, wherever you live, go be shiny today. Shine like light. Shine like a star in the universe. Hold out the word of life to others. Let let the Holy Spirit pulsing within you change the atmosphere where you are, the room you're in, the place where you're moving about in the world. Let there be the gravitational wave of the gospel going forth in and through you impacting the world. Let us uh, be the agents of grace and the ambassadors of the king and the kingdom today. Let's walk our faith out into the world that God so loves, and let's do so in ways that honor Jesus. I'm with you. Are you with me? Have a great day. God bless.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.